Amen. Let's look in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 11. Share a message entitled Grace That Is Greater. Uh, Titus chapter 2. We're always excited when folks get saved and get baptized, are going to get baptized. And we're thankful that it's by the grace of God that we can know that we're saved. And uh, God is ever working in our life. In Titus chapter 2. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful this morning to be able to come to you uh, rejoicing in the grace of God that has been bestowed upon us. We're thankful, Lord, for those that will be baptized today and as a testimony of uh, the wonderful grace of Jesus working in their life. And Lord, we're just thankful that each and every day uh, we experience a measure of God's grace working in us and through us. I would pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's ever been saved, uh, Lord, that they might respond to the invitation of God uh, to enter into this great grace, uh, to know that your grace is sufficient to save us. It's not something that's hid. It's something that's been revealed through the death of Christ and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, you know, the ascension into heaven and the promise of the return. And uh, Lord, we can be delivered from the bondage of all of our sin because of your great grace. And so, Lord, I pray that you speak to us in a special way today. As believers in Christ, we certainly need to be increasing in our resolve to live our life for the glory of God. And Lord, we understand that's only by your grace. And so help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And verse 11 is our text verse. Paul says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And certainly writing to this young preacher, Titus, he wants to remind him to warn people and encourage people in the reference to this matter of grace. If they're going to be saved, it's going to be saved through the grace of God. And that grace of God that saves us is not something that's hid, but rather is peer to all men. In other words, Jesus Christ was a demonstration of God's grace. He came in the world, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own refused him. But thank God that he extended grace to us, and that if we will believe on him, whoever shall receive him can become the sons of God. Why? Because we believe on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so Paul challenges Titus to be faithful to tell this message of grace to everyone that he would come in contact. The, name, the word grace is actually found 159 times uh, in the Bible. Uh, just in the New Testament, it is uh, recorded for us 122 times. And so grace, if God's going to mention something that many times in the word of God, then certainly we ought to pay attention to it and think about what does it mean and how does that affect our life 
and why and how can it affect other people's lives if we'll just tell them about the grace of God. Uh, the definition is defined, grace is defined by this. I put it on there, it's a little small, I think, but you'll be able to see it. Uh, it's merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, and increases them in Christian faith. So the grace of God is not just a one time of experience, but the grace of God is an ongoing experience that we have. We trust Christ as our Savior because of God's grace that has been extended to us. But that grace that saves our soul is the same grace that keeps us secure in Christ. And it's the same grace that strengthens us and grows us and increases us in the knowledge of who Christ is and what our life is being hid in Christ. And so if we have not grace, uh, we do not have salvation. If we do not experience the grace of God, there's absolutely no way uh, that we're going to be able to come to a full knowledge of who he is and be able to experience all that God has for us. And so the grace of God is so important to us. The problem is often at times many people cheapen grace because they look at it and say, well, we're saved by grace, so that means I can live however I want. Uh, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And so the grace of God releases us from the bondage of our sin. The, the grace of God releases us from the impact and influence of the world in our life. And it enables us to live a life of freedom in Christ to be righteous and to be holy not to be sinful and to be wicked. And so we need God's grace upon us, and we need not cheapen the grace of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book on the high cost of discipleship, uh, states in there this matter of cheap grace. And cheap grace is saying, well, I need grace to be saved, but now that I'm saved, I can live however I want. And we have cheapened what grace is all about. Grace is about God influencing us and impressing upon us the necessity to believe on Christ and then delivering us from the bondage of our sins and enabling us to live a life of victory through our faith that we have in Christ. And so it is not this matter of just living as we please. Fanny Crosby became blind at six weeks old due to an infection in her eyes. Uh, well, uh, she felt as though that God was good to her and gracious to her and that she would, did not have any right or did not deserve to complain about her condition in life. And the way you're able to come to that conclusion is because of God's grace. She said this, it seemed, I didn't put it on the, on the, film, on the slide so you just have to listen, and uh, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. Now, I read that statement. That stirred my heart. And I thank him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beauty and interesting things about me. How, many, all, how often do many of us lose our zeal for God because of 
what we see and what entices us in the world that we cannot even focus on God. One of the blessings of going to a prayer advance is that we try to remove those distractions in life so that we can once again completely focus on God. And then how quickly I was talking to someone and they were saying about how we make decisions for the Lord at the prayer advance and how quickly when we return, it seems like we go right back to the old lifestyle. Go right back to the same interests rather than being interested in our God. And so uh, Fanny Crosby, who wrote many, many, many hymns that we sing, uh, understood the value of not seeing and not being interested in the things of this world because on her heart all she saw was the Lord and worshipped him only. She went on to say later, when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. And I read that and I thought, how precious that must be to be able to experience a life of not being able to see anything at all and the very first thing you see through your eyes is Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, I read those quotes and I thought, my goodness, Lord, give me grace to have blinders on. You know, you have horses and you hook them up to a cart. You might be racing the horses and hook them up to a sake cart. Or you might hook them up to a wagon or whatever. And whenever you do that, you always put blinders on the horse. And the reason why you put blinders on the horse is you don't want the horse looking over here because there may be something on the side that will distract them or will spook them and they won't be paying attention to what their task is of moving ahead and pulling that wagon. Oftentimes, some horses get spooked by things they see on the ground in front of them. And you'll see, oftentimes, horses will have a big furry thing that goes across their nose. And so they got blinders, and they have a big furry thing across their nose. And that's so they won't see what's immediately on the ground in front of them. So it keeps them absolutely, totally focused with what's in front of them. And I think sometimes we forget we need God's grace to blind us to the things that are in the world. The world has nothing that is valuable and good for you when Christ has everything that is wonderful and gracious for you. All that we might put the blinders of God on and uh, real, live our life based on the grace of God. C.S. Lewis said this in reference to his salvation experience. The words compel them to come, the words, that phrase, compel them to come, says, have been so abused by wicked men that we shudder at them. But properly understood, they plumb the depth of the divine mercy. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, for his compulsion is our liberation. And I think we have, we have painted God as this awful being that hates people because God has said, be ye holy for I am holy. And the reality is the softness of man does not equal the kindness of God. And let me tell you something this morning that we need grace to understand that the divine mercy of God is released at the cross. Because his grace has been extended to us through the suffering of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so let's think of this grace that is greater. 
First of all, we need to think of grace to be saved. And uh, you say, well, that's elementary to many of us. Many of us have been saved a long time. I think we forget, though, we're saved by grace. It is not because you're a faithful church member that you're saved. It is not because you give money in support of missions because, that you're saved. You're saved this morning for one and only one reason, and that is because of the grace of God. In John chapter 1 and verse 7, John chapter 1 and verse 7, we see that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In John 1, 7, it says, The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light and all, uh, that all men through him might believe. And it says in verse 8 of John chapter 1, uh, he, was the, he was not the light, speaking about John the Baptist, but was sent so to bear witness of the light that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. What a sad situation when you think of the world, literally Jesus Christ is the one who came into the world to give us light so that we might know who God is. And in verse 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so we know the grace of God because Jesus came into this world. The only begotten Son of God was offered as a sacrifice for our sins. No greater grace can a man that experience than to see that someone would offer his only begotten Son to die for us. And the truth, the truth is in reference to who Christ is. I was listening to him. I don't forget who it was, some politician, and, and uh, uh, basically they said this, and this is a tactic of many politicians, is you throw out a falsehood about somebody, and after you throw out the falsehood about somebody, you repeat it over and over again so that the news media picks up on it. Then the news media starts uh, presenting it and reporting on it, and then everybody accepts it as truth. When in reality, it's an out-and-out -out lie. But everybody will accept it as truth. No, Jesus Christ came into this world, and he came into this world extending to us the grace of God, and he was the absolute truth of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so we want to know what the world is. We want to know what life is. We want to understand who God is, the only way that we can experience this great grace, this grace that is greater, is by coming to faith in Jesus Christ, because in Christ Jesus, grace and truth was presented to man. So grace to be saved, man can be saved. People say, well, people can't be saved. I've talked to people, say, well, if you died today, you know 100% sure you'd go to heaven. They say, well, nobody can know that. Well, that's a lie out of the pits of hell, because man can know that. Because grace has been extended to us through Jesus Christ coming into this world. So grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. God's grace exonerates man, not man's effort. And we have to remind people of this. I'm telling you, there are churches that used to be good churches that no longer teach this. No longer preach on this. There are people who used to be honorable people as Christians and living for God, 
Now, because of the impression of the world and the influence of the world and the intimidation of the world, we back off on the reality that your works cannot get you saved. Well, you know, well, they're such, I hear people say all the time, well, they're just a nice person. Well, they might be a nice person. But that being a nice person doesn't get them to heaven. And we're saved by grace and grace alone. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I love what Paul says in Galatians 5 and 4. It says, Christ has become of none effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. The Galatian church had to deal with this false doctrine creeping back into the church about the fact that we had to be circumcised, we had to obey the law of the Old Testament in order to be saved. And Paul said this, I'm scared for you, I'm fearful for you, because you have fallen from the grace of God because you think it's by keeping the law. And no man is justified by keeping the law of God. We are justified by the grace of God that brings us to faith in the sacrifice of Christ and Christ alone. So grace to be saved. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. God's grace exonerates man, not man's efforts. There's nobody who's going to be able to stand before Jesus Christ one day and say, well, I'm glad to be here because I did A, B, C, and D in my life. I worked hard for you, God. I loved you, God. I, I surrendered my life to you, God. I did all these things for you, God, and I'm glad that brought me to this place. And Jesus is going to look at them and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You cannot get to heaven on your own efforts. You have to come to the grace of God. So God's grace exonerates man. Not only that, but salvation, uh, when it is examined, always turns up grace. Look over in Acts chapter 15. Whenever you examine salvation with the scriptures... Not with man's writings or man's thoughts. Whenever you examine the scriptures about grace, I mean about salvation, it always turns up by grace. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 7, Acts 15 is the first church council in the early church. And it was over the determination of what saves a man. Does he get saved because of his circumcision? Does he get saved because of keeping the law? Or is he saved by the grace of God only? In Acts chapter 15 and verse 7, it says, And there, when there were, I'm sorry, when there had been much disputing, you know, people say, Well, we shouldn't argue, we should just love one another. Uh, I heard a guy, there's a false prophet uh, the other day, and he was saying, Well, we just have to love people to Jesus. Well, yeah, we need to love people, but just loving people doesn't get them to Jesus. Somebody's got to tell them about who Christ is. Somebody has to warn them that their sin has them on the path to hell. Somebody has to tell them the only way they can get saved is through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, you say, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get in an argument. I don't want a conflict. There was, listen, when there had been much disputing. This is a debate. This is an argument. This is a theological position that has been present all the way back in the early days when the church started. Peter rose 
He rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That is an amazing statement because Peter was a Jew and the Jews did not have any dealings with the Gentiles. But Peter said, let's remember this, that God commanded me and God spoke through my mouth the grace of God to the Gentiles that they might hear the gospel and that they might believe. Then in verse 8 it says, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of his disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. They settled the issue once and for all. It is by the grace of God that is greater than our sins, that we can all be saved, whether Jew or whether they be Gentile. And then in Acts chapter 18 and uh, verse 27, Acts chapter 18 and verse 27, it says, And when he uh, was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. He mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Whenever you do an examination or determination of studying the scriptures to find out what salvation is about, it always ends up turning up grace. It is never presented, that is by a man's efforts or by man's works, that a man can be saved. So a man is saved by grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. So the second thing I see is not only grace to be saved, but grace to live. And uh, we must have grace every day working on our lives to help us to overcome the temptations that we have to face. Our justification, Romans chapter 3 in verse 24, we often quote verse 23, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, we understand that. But we forget that in the context, after he declares that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, in verse 24, says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Our justification. How can we be just in stating that, yes, we are going to heaven? It's because of the grace of God. Our justification is based on the fact that Jesus Christ died for us, and because he died for us, now that we can know that we're going to heaven and we're secure in that. And I have um, justification for stating that so. Over the years, I've had different people say, well, you just think you're better than everybody else because you say you're going to heaven and other people aren't. I don't think I'm better than anybody else. I need the grace of God like everybody else does. But I can declare my justification is the grace of God that saves me ensures the fact that I am going to heaven. And the fact that you have not been saved by grace, you have no justification before God. You have no justification to say, so state, 
I hope I go to heaven one day. No, you have to come to faith in Christ through the grace of God, and then you stand justified. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So our justification is by grace. Our stability is by grace. In Romans chapter 5, in verse 2, it says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, there is no possible way that you can be stable in your Christian life by trying to live out the law of God. The problem is this, that you will always violate some point in the law. There is no person in this room that can keep 100% every command in the law of God, whether you're saved or whether you're not saved. And this foolishness that goes around and says once we're saved, we're no longer sinners, then why do we have such a hard time keeping the law of God? We can't keep the law of God, so we need the grace of God to help us each day to overcome the temptations and the violations of God's commands. And so in Romans chapter 5 and verse 2 says, whom by, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Chapter 6 of Romans, Paul continues to carry this thought in chapter 6 and verse 14. says, For sin hath, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you're, he says, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Literally, God forbid means don't let it be so. Paul says, oh, wait a minute, oh, wait a minute. I, we understand that we can't be stable and secure in keeping the law of God because the law of God condemns us, so we're all under grace. So does that mean since I'm under grace that I don't have to worry about the law of God and go ahead and commit sin? Don't let that happen in your life is what he's saying. Why? Because God's grace is greater than the sin that is in your life. So our justification, our stability, then our labor, our working for God. You know, what you can do for the Lord is not based on your talents and skills and abilities. It's based on the fact that God has extended grace to you. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle. Paul says, listen, I'm the lowest of the low." Uh, you know, why? Because he had persecuted the church. And so he goes on to say in uh, Roman, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and 9, I am the least of the apostles that I that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And then in verse 10 he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So whatever you can accomplish, whatever you can achieve in your Christian life, it is not about how talented you are. It is not about how strong you are. It's not about how good looking you might be like me. You know? <laughs> it's not about any of that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Notice in verse 10, he doesn't stop there. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, 
But I labored the more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Our labor. Thank God that when you get out of bed in the morning, God has given you grace to make it through tonight. And God now has given you grace to get up and glorify him today. And praise God that because of the grace of God, you can labor and live a life that is glorifying and praising unto our Savior. Grace to live, justification, stability, labor, our giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we won't belabor this, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And I think sometimes we forget our giving, we forget our finances. It's not about how well we are at budgeting money. It is not about how well you are at being able to invest or whatever it may be. It is about the grace of God that is extended to us. To be able to manage his money. It's not our money. What you own, what you have is not yours. It's the Lord's. It's not the government's either. Amen. President Obama made that statement. What you have, you didn't make it. You didn't earn that yourself. You got it from the government. No, we got it from God is where we got it from. Moreover, brethren, do we do you the wit of the grace of God bestowed on the church of the Macedonia. How? That in great trial of afflictions, the abundance of their joy, their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For the their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of us, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And so Paul reminds us that, wait a minute, we have grace to live because we're justified by grace, we're stable by grace, we labor and work by grace, we manage our finances and our giving by grace. Everything in a Christian's life is grace. So grace is greater than anything that you have or anything that you experience in your life. So grace to be saved, grace to live, then grace to grow. And I thought about this, that in our personal growth, in our personal growth, our personal life, we need to grow. Jesus Christ, who was a son of God in Luke chapter 2, was identified as growing in grace. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, says, And the child grew, speaking about Jesus, and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. And here it is, the grace of God was upon him. Now, the, the question is this, if God's grace was upon Jesus Christ in fulfilling the will of the Father in heaven, how much more do you and I need the grace of God? And I want to be gain wisdom. I want to be strong in the spirit. I want to have knowledge and understanding what the word of God has to say. But I know this, it's not going to happen and it's not going to be experienced apart from the grace of God. I thought about Jesus. I thought about the pastor. In Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul leaves the, believe, uh, the pastors of the church at Ephesus and he gives them instructions in Acts chapter 20 in uh, verse 32. And I think some pastors forget this. So I'm reminding myself. I preached at you for a little while. Let me preach it myself for about two minutes. In uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, it says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God. Now he's talking to the, the pastors, those that had oversight of the churches. 
And he just gave them great instruction and warned them of what could take place in the churches, how wolves would enter in as sheep's and clothing, uh, wolves and sheep's clothing would come in and devour the flock of God and all that. Then he tells them this, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of his grace is I just gave you a great challenge that you need to oversee the church that God has made you overseer. You need to nurture the church and grow the church that God's given you the responsibility to do that. You need to be aware that there's wolves entering in the church and you need to protect the flock of God. But listen, I'm commending you to God to be able to do that to the word of his grace. You're going to be able to pastor, you're going to be able to pastor the church. You're going to be able to help people. You're going to be able to overcome the attack of the devil. Then you need the grace of God. Thank you, Lord. Appreciate that. <laughs> to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Personal growth is by God's grace. The believer, 2 Peter 3.18, we often quote that. But grow in the grace and knowledge, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's to the believer. So that means, pastor, you need to grow in grace. I've committed you to the word of my grace that you can lead the flock of God, protect the flock of God, be able to grow them and build them in their faith. But ye believers, you need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest thing to take place in your life as a Christian is to enter into grace that is sufficient to give you an understanding of heart about who God is and what he wants to do in your life. You can be the greatest athlete in the world and not know Christ, what good is your life? You can be the greatest financier there is in the face of this planet, but what good is it if you know not Christ? And so believers... Grace teaches us, back in our text, I knew I'd get back to the passage after a while. In Titus chapter 2, Paul goes on in verse 12. Our text verse is verse 11. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. I love that way it's stated because it's not saying it might appear to all men. It says it has appeared to all men. Then in verse 12, it says this, teaching us. Well, who's teaching us? The grace of God. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. People say, I think it's all right to have a social drink. No, you're drunk. You're supposed to be sober. But beyond that, the Greek word means serious. In other words, stop being foolish. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. But if you're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're maturing, then stop acting foolish. We're to conduct ourselves soberly. Notice he goes on and says, righteously. In other words, that which is unholy, that which is corrupt, you do not let it attach to you. And godly, in other words, you follow the pattern of Christ, being conformed to the image of the Son of God, where do we do that? In this present world. Listen, I, you can read about revivals of the past. You can read about great men and women of the past. But God didn't have you there. You're here. 20 years from now, there's several, many of us that won't be here. So you're not going to be able to live 
godly and stand against worldly lust and righteous and all this in this present world because that, that present world in the future isn't going to be your world. So bless God, right now, every one of us are in this present world. And it's the grace of God that teaches us there's a way that God wants us to live. So grace, teach us on how to conduct ourselves and respond. And I thought about personal growth. And I thought about church growth. You know, the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 11, it was stated that when Paul and Barnabas went there, they saw that the great grace was upon the church. Great grace. Our church not just the church in Antioch, but our church needs to respond to and acknowledge that we need the great grace of God upon us. It's God's grace that's going to continue to save people in our church. These folks are going to be baptized in 11 o'clock service. Great grace worked in their life. And so we as a church want to extend great grace to them to help them to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're babes in Christ. And so our church, as a body of believers, need to respond to the opportunity to minister by grace in their life. You say, why? Because without grace, we can accomplish nothing. It's not about coming up with a new technique or a new program or whatever it may be. It's getting a hold of the grace of God. Why? Because for the grace of God bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. There is no excuse for for a soul to be lost because of the grace of God that's appeared to all men. See, man's not going to be able to stand before God when God cast him into the pits of hell. He's not going to be able to stand there and say, God, you're wrong for doing what you're doing. He's not going to be able to stand there and say, you're not just in condemning me to hell. And the reason why he won't be able to do that is because God has already revealed his grace to mankind. You're here this morning, you're not saved. You've never been saved by grace. You'll have no excuse at the throne of God. No. No excuse whatsoever. You're without excuse. Because salvation that is experienced by grace has been presented. There's no excuse for a lost testimony because of grace. People say, well, you just don't understand what I've been through in my life. No, let's rephrase that. You don't understand the power of the grace of God. Because I'm going to tell you, when we're, we are men of like passion. We're not different one from another. The temptations are common to man. But God will, with the temptation, provides a means of escapes. And it's always by his grace. So we can't excuse. We live in an era in history, in American history, where every bad conduct is excused because of some excuse that man makes up. There are no excuses with God. Because God has revealed his grace to us by sending his son in this world to die for us. And all man has to do is trust him as their personal savior. That's it. And then each and every day, trust the grace of God that's working in our hearts to give us strength to overcome the temptations of life. Grace that is greater. You say, well, I have this in my life. 
grace that is greater. You don't understand what I'm going through? Grace that is greater. You don't know this person I'm dealing with, grace that is greater. Pastors get all upset. Ah, my church. Ah, man, the church is out of control. I'll tell you, I don't know what to do about my church. Grace that is greater. We just need to enter into this grace that God has extended to us. Grace that is greater. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. We're thankful for grace. Uh, Lord, we're all across this room. We could take testimonies this morning when different ones have gotten saved and what took place and the common denominator would be that there was grace that was sufficient to save us. And yea, Lord, we could even go beyond that and receive testimonies to testify of how we live our life each day. Certainly isn't about our strength, our abilities, but it's about the grace of God. So Lord, I pray that you bless us in this invitation. There may be somebody needs to be saved this morning and Lord, I pray that I've been clear enough about how powerful grace is to set us free from the bondage of every sin. And I pray, Lord, you deliver someone's soul this morning. I pray for every believer that may be struggling this morning. God, help us to enter into this great grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's